This episode contains discussion about sexual assault and domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. I'll be honest, I think if Louis had fought or if he had said, I'm sorry, here's what's happening, yeah. I think Grace could have held space in some way so their relationship could have continued. This is the AMC Plus Interview with the Vampire Podcast, and I'm your host, Naomi Ekparrigan, writer, comedian, actor, and all-around vampire obsessive. Every week, we talk about the latest episode of AMC's bold adaptation of Interview with the Vampire. This is some real horror, y'all. Today, we're getting into the fifth episode, titled A Vile Hunger for Your Hammering Heart. But I've decided to call it a real Grey Garden situation. On this episode, I get to talk to Kaylin Coleman, who plays Louis' sister Grace, and Hannah Moscovich, the writer behind episode five. And after that, I welcome back horror professor Tanana Reeve Dude, because we have a lot to discuss and we need a professional opinion. I cannot believe I have to say this, but there are spoilers ahead. That's honestly the whole purpose of this podcast. So if you are not up to date with what's happening, that's on you. I wouldn't even call it a spoiler. It's a fact. I'm giving you the facts of the program. Come on, don't, don't run off. I know we made some mistakes. I remember the night I was made, the fire choking me. You carried me out through the flame and the smokes. But then why'd you take me home? Why not a hospital? Okay, so in episode five, everybody just real sad. Louis and Lestat struggle with different parenting styles. One parenting style where Louis loves Claudia unconditionally and is sad for her after losing Charlie. And Lestat's style is get over it, stop being a whiny baby. You know, Lestat has real bad cop energy. Claudia, meanwhile, is in angst, okay? It's German angst, honey. She's mad, she's acting out, and she has been going out at night killing every and anyone and not being subtle about it. We told you about the family incinerator on day one of being a vampire, <laughs> okay? I don't know why you're doing this, girl. This, of course, gets the cops' attention. They come to the house, and we learn that not only has Claudia been killing, homegirl is keeping souvenirs and has a body in the closet at that very moment. See, what I say, I told you her ass was a psychopath. This, of course, leads to a big old fight with her hot dads, and she runs away from home. But when Claudia meets another vampire, she discovers that it is probably better to be with the devils you know. When Claudia is gone, Louis and Lestat's relationship, honey, it dissolves. They're fighting. They're snipping at each other. The house looks like an episode of Hoarders. They got half-dead birds hobbling around, and it's like, okay, vampires, can you get bird flu? Because you might have it. Claudia does come back home, but this ends up leading to a brutal, bloody fight where Lestat, king of drama, shows Louis that he has the cloud gift, which means he can fly. And we learn this when he grabs Louis by the collar, flies him up a thousand feet in the air, and then drops his ass to the ground. When you become a vampire, do you also lose all sense of reason? Like, can y'all have any chill? I'm going to get into all that and more with my first guest. Interview with the vampire writer, Hannah Moscovich, and actor, Kaylin Coleman. Hello, everyone. We are here with in front of and behind the camera queens, Kaylin Coleman and Hannah Moscovich. Hello, ladies. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Kaylin, will you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? My name is Kaylin, and I play Grace on Interview with a Vampire, Louis' sister. And Hannah, will you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? I'm Hannah Moscovich, and I'm a writer in the Interview with a Vampire story room. Now, before I get into my hard-hitting questions, because I'm nothing if not ruthless, <laughs> okay? Uh, move over, Diane Sawyer. 
My first question for both of you. If you were given the chance to become a vampire, would you take it? <gasps> oh, man. That's a good what? question. That is such a hard question. <laughs> okay, you have not talked about this on set multiple times? Never. <laughs> I've never thought or talked about it. I mean, it's so wild talking about this in this context with Grace here, because Grace is why you don't become a vampire. Mm -hmm. Like, it's because you lose your family. And like, as soon as you ask, I'm like, my son yeah. is seven. I can't be a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be his mother, right. you know? And the loss of grace for Louis is so, it de like, it mm. destroys him. Mm -hmm. You know what, though, Hannah? Listen, if grace were to get bent in, <laughs> they could live <laughs> into eternity forever. <laughs> um, so I would say on some days, Kaylin, Kaylin the actor, would say, absolutely, I'd be a vampire. But on most days, no. No, I don't, I don't know how good I'd do with the blood and everything like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. But I do wonder sometimes, I'm like, do you think vampire blood, like, do you think eating people, like, their blood is slimming? Like, would that be a quick way to just get snatched? You know what I mean? I think so. Just a little I bit? I think so. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with your metabolism when you're undead. Um, I'm, also a, I'm also a TV writer, but it's comedy, so you know we're not that serious. We don't have the skills the drama writers have. We just come into a room and mostly look at YouTube. You guys have, you have more skills. Like, comedy's harder, I think. Oh, I know. I don't recommend it. But tell me about the process of getting on the show, Hannah. How did you pitch yourself as a writer to showrunner Rollin Jones? Yeah, I'm a misfit choice. I'm a weirdo from Canada, you know, and he read one of my plays. And then he called me in for an interview and I was like, I don't know why you're talking to me. But... Did you say that in the interview? I don't know why you're talking to me. Is that it? Are you kind of like negging? You're playing like hardball with him? I was like soft killing it. I was like, isn't L.A. full of writers? Isn't America full of writers? <laughs> And he was like, and you're hired. Perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I did know Anne Rice. So I had read her when I was a teenager, which, you know, then you have like this deep spiritual teenage connection to work that you read when you're a teenager. Like you, you're yeah. so emotional about it. And honestly, I had read a lot of Anne Rice's like pornography, her erotica. So I had like, <laughs> I had okay, done Canadian a teen. Yeah. Hannah. I heard about that. Yeah. And she has some true like erotic writing. And I had like done like a deep teenage, like, oh my God, I can't be allowed to be reading this dive into yeah. Anne Rice. So I really knew her work and I had loved her vampires. And I like some horror and some romance. I was just like, wow, I'm all in. Like, you know, yeah. I couldn't imagine a yeah. better show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, as someone who loves genre, one of my first scripts was about black zombies. Wow. I love putting black people in yes. the genre stuff because growing up, they weren't. Talk about You know it. what I mean? Like it was always like first to die, if at all, right? If they were there at all. So mm. I was so excited for this. What my litmus test was actually, or what I guess felt to me like, mm-hmm, they know. <laughs> it was their mother. It was Louis yeah. Grace's Paul's mother. And the way she talked to them, I said, okay, somebody taught them about black mama drama. They learned the rules. <laughs> From the source. But at the same time, like, Kaylin, and be honest, okay, and Hannah's Canadian, so she's automatically more trustworthy than your average Caucasian. Um, <laughs> okay. How did, you know, you're, you're in here, you know, the showrunner is white. You're telling a new version of a story that was yeah, white, yeah. right, when it was first done. Were you nervous at all? Or were you kind of, or rather, self-conscious? Like, okay, we have to do this right? Or what does it look like to do this this way? Absolutely. I think... I felt so many things, a huge responsibility to 
first of all, learn and dive deep into the Creole culture and to free people of color and that culture and history. And let's be clear, this is a whole community and history that I didn't learn in school. Mm -hmm. So actually, this show gave me the gift to dive deeper into a part of my history that I had no idea. The intricacies and the beautiful like music and swagger and all that was happening in that time in Storyville and New Orleans in general. So I felt a lot of pressure to honor those people and to help them feel seen. And I think every step of the way, I wanted to be sure that I could have conversations about relationships, about Black people, about Blackness during this time, you know. Um, Creole folks lived in a sort of in-between. So, you know, they're dealing with colorism, they're dealing with racism, they're dealing with so many different things. So for me, it was always about how can I do the research, do the work, make sure I'm honoring to the best of my ability and trust Mm -hmm. that the people around me want to do the same thing. And what I found was that it felt very safe to work on this project, to work with these people, and to combine both what Anne Rice had already created, but deepening it with this new community of people. Mm -hmm. I truly believe it's explosive in the way that these new characters and the history and the culture that they come with opens up the text in a new way. Yeah, and honestly, your performance was ridiculous. Like, you're extraordinary as Grace. I really like, you know, like you write something, but then there's like watching someone elevate it far beyond what you even hoped for. And that is what you did. So, yes, yes. Take them flowers, Kaylin. You deserve take them because let me tell you this is my first tv show i know first one rollin told me that and rollin was like you will not believe what happened with grace and it is her first show and i was like uh and then i watched it and i was like are you kidding me oh and thank you that means the world to me because like with all that that i said i'm also navigating being on a set for the first time yeah yeah yeah. and that comes with a lot of learning and um a lot of like anxiety Mm -hmm. but you get more comfortable and i think that was also a gift of grace. I got to age and experience as she aged as a person. Well, I actually wanted to ask that because I did feel like, you know, I said every episode, Grace got a new situation. I said, first, <laughs> Grace get married. Then, Grace got some twins. Then, Grace going north. And yeah. it was like every We're like sprinting episode. through her life. We're like, all the major <laughs> events, do them all. Do them all. I mean, how would you approach that though, right? Because these moments are largely happening off screen except for the wedding. Yeah. And so, you know, you come into each, like into each scene was like, okay, now I have changed this way. How did you envision that change? Were you like, okay, she walking a little different because these kids have got her tired. She's Uh. a little less um, warm because she stopped trusting Louis. You know what I mean? Uh Like, what are some of the things you did to make those changes feel lived in for you? Yeah, I think, well, one of the gifts is that I got most of the episodes prior to. So I was really able to track her age and those changes that we're talking about. Of course, there was little changes here and there, but as far as Grace's track, I was really able to focus on what I wanted to come into each episode with. And I had to be clear, like how many years has it been since I've seen Louis? You know, mm-hmm. what, how many birthdays has he missed? How many celebrations was he not there for? How many letters have I written that he'd never responded as far as tracking our relationship? And then y'all, 
I have nine, nine, two, now 10 nieces and nephews. I know what it feels like to be at your wit's end. You know, I know what it feels like to want that family support around you and sometimes not be able to get it in the way that you need. And Grace had to grow up really fast. And one of the most heartbreaking things is the deterioration of her and Louis's relationship because she has no idea why it's happening and he's her last family member. So I think for me, it was just making sure that when I walked into each episode, I was clear on what had just happened and I could make those stories personal to me. Let's listen to a little clip that show Louis and Grace letting go of each other finally. We're headed north. Crash cleaned us out. And don't offer, because I'm not asking. Never found some work near Boston, but feel blessed for the work. You look good. Don't need that either, Louis. Whoever you are that took my Louis. It's me, Grace. I sat across the dinner table from him my whole life. The pews in St. Augustine's on Sunday. Hit my fourth grade report card on purpose. Cause his was so bad and he ain't want our parents to find out. You're not my Louis. You can't be. I pray myself old, thinking what to do about you. God never talked back, so this is how it has to be. For me. For my family. You understand? I'm gutted. I'm gutted. Every, like, Kaylin, honey. Kaylin, right now you're Grace. And I need to know what is going on for Grace in this scene. And who does Grace think Louis is now? So I think so many things are happening for Grace at the beginning of the scene. You know, she's in her 40s now. It's been like nine years since she's seen her brother. And before that, it was still strained. And so... You know, I talked to Levin about this, who was the episode five director, who was incredibly helpful and asked all the great actor questions. And I don't think she would know that Louis is a vampire. She wouldn't, although New Orleans is a beautifully spiritual place and there's interactions with good and evil energies all the time, I don't think she would know what that essence is or that being is. Mm -hmm. But she does have these facts. He hasn't aged. He's not around anymore. His heart, his spirit his essence has changed. He's superhuman in strength. Mm-hmm. And there's a darkness about him that wasn't there before. And so I think Grace has tried to her last draw to save their relationship. This is her last living family member. He's all she has left, but he's given her nothing. And so I think at this point, she just has to set her boundaries in order to be the mother and the wife and the human she needs to be, you know, to live her life. And I'll be honest, I think if Louis had fought or if he had said, I'm sorry, here's what's happening. I think Grace could have held space in some way um, so their relationship could have continued. We talked about that a lot, too, in the... Yeah. room and that was what we came to exactly what you said really we came to like she doesn't know he's a vampire but she knows there's something and it's supernatural yeah. probably but she doesn't quite know what and then wow. he doesn't dispute it he doesn't say so that. she buries him alive that's it it's like you know deciding someone's dead when they're still alive it's a version of disowning so it, mm-hmm. it was like she's going north 
she's done. Her whole family is dead because he's something and she doesn't know what. And she's got to let him go, which is to be like, you are dead, just like my mother is dead, just like my brother and my father. You know, I love that because I think in the book, she is told that he's, he dies in a fire. Mm-hmm. I think he like watches her as an older woman, like visiting his grave. And I love that the writers you all gave her the agency to choose the goodbye. And I think that that, it, it makes her stronger, I feel, to be able to choose it. Right, right. Kaylin, did you see any similarities between Grace and Claudia? There is the moment where, you know, right, Claudia shows up at your mother's funeral, at mm-hmm. mom's funeral. So that's like the only time you meet yeah. her. One one of her wishes would have been to be a part of Claudia's life. Because I think a similarity uh, that they have is they both want relationships with Louis in a way that isn't always fulfilled in the way that they want. And I truly believe she would have been a great auntie to Claudia. She would have been a great auntie if given the chance as long as Claudia didn't eat her. I think they would have been fine. Claudia could have used a grace in her life. Yeah, like she's dying for a grace. Like she's dying for a grace. She's longing for a grace. Yeah, yeah. This is what what me and Bailey talked about on set. We wish we had more scenes together because we were supporting each other from a distance. Yeah, Claudia needed some loving female energy because life for her two dads has gotten real grim all locked up in the house together. I call this episode, we got a real Grey Garden situation going on. (laughs) Yeah. Let's listen to a little clip that I think really encapsulates the Grey Gardens vibe. You wanted her, you fixed her. And beer and whiskey? Doing this together. Do you remember our life, how happy we were before her? Happy? We were not happy. An anvil tied around our ankles, pulling us towards the pitch black ocean floor. Who am I supposed to love? You two have each other. Who's my Lassette? Who's my Louis? Not humans. What human would want me? How are you gonna fix it, huh? Which one are you gonna fuck me? You're not my type, but I like a full of fish. Stop! She's being impossible. Why can't I make one? No matter how much blood I give them, they just lie there gasping. Did you try to make enough? Claudia. How'd you figure this was gonna go? If you could find any, which you won't, they would shred you to strips because you are built like a bird, because you are a mistake. Woo! <laughs> Drama. <laughs> Drama. I mean, Hannah, how were you guys kind of conceiving of this dynamic between the three of them, especially once Claudia comes in? Because I think one of the big differences between this adaptation and the book and the movie is that Claudia is older, right? She's 14. And with that comes a desire and a drive and a dangerousness that didn't, that wasn't the same with a much younger Claudia. Yeah. Well, yeah. So our Claudia is like a teenager. And so with that comes, you know, the beginning of sexuality. And with that comes a kind of like erratic emotion and volatility. And so that was our Claudia, which is different than the book. Um, Although Anne Rice does get there in Paris. So we, in a way, we pulled some of what happens with Claudia in Paris, where she's obviously becoming an adult and asking questions about sexuality. We just pulled that a little bit earlier and into the relationship between Louis and Lestat, which gave us like 
you know, it just gives you a really tempestuous character, which was what was so pleasurable to write. And like the great pleasure for me of writing on this show is like, Rollin, let me write like that clip you just heard. Mm -hmm. Like he lets me go all the way into like humor and sexuality and darkness. Like, yay. That's how I, <laughs> I want to write that way. If only anyone will give me permission and Rollin does. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, you know, you talk about Claudia as tempestuous, but what's funny is I find Lestat to be so tempestuous. I find him yeah. to be such a little dramatic, whiny baby. Yeah. And the problem is he got some power. If he could not, like, you know, fly and beat you to a pulp, you would be like, ew, he's the emo guy at the coffee shop. You, you know what I mean? You're so right. I don't know why I'm putting that on Claudia, because out of all of them, Lestat's like, you know, he's the monster. He's like the monster mentor, right? Yes. Like he's the one he's supposed to be mentoring these two little vampires and like all he does is fuck them up, you know? Like, Let me tell you, I be talking back to this screen. There is a moment <laughs> in this scene when they when they do their reunion and then he like stops the record player and is so petty. I was like, mm. oh, Claudia is back. Let me tell you, they <laughs> played that role. I was like, no, you didn't. Stop <laughs> being petty. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, Lestat is just here for like the biggest reaction to everything. Even his response here, like when he's being funny, which is like, I prefer a fuller figure. It's like, okay, Tu Wong Fu, Calm down. You can't. You don't need to give us a zinger every time. I know. Well, and that's why, honestly, he's so fun to write because he always says the shittiest, meanest, most fucked up thing in every scene. And so to get to write that is such a, it's always so fun to write the devil. <laughs> it's a good outlet. It keeps you pleasant. Yeah. Because you know? yeah. it's like, get you get to write out. that and then you'll be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, to shift to, a, you know, an even darker moment, there is an implied assault in this episode where Claudia is uh, assaulted by Bruce, another vampire. And my question, Hannah, was, you know, given that this show is violent, it's gory, tell me about the decision to not show us what happened to Claudia to any extent. And I'm going to tell you this, I didn't want to see it. I'm glad you did not. But because, again, the show does show us so much, it felt like a purposeful choice. Yeah. Do you know, I don't think we ever talked about showing it. Like, we always wanted it to not be shown. You know, and I think there is a logic in a show that is sexual and that shows beautiful sexuality that you don't want to show when sexuality is rape or abuse. Mm -hmm. I'll say mm -hmm. on, like, the, sh mm -hmm. the show I worked on where I'm executive producer before this show, we made the call not to show any uh, sexual assault scenes um, because it can mm -hmm. be traumatizing for people who have experienced sexual assault and doesn't necessarily add to the story other than, like, in a superficial way. Right. You know, everything is breaking down. Um, and it certainly ends with, I mean, Hannah, can we talk about this fight scene? I mean, these multiple fight scenes, honey. We start in the house. We go around. We get up into the sky. I mean, you talk about, you know, how, yes, it can be fun to write some of the dark stuff. But what is it like to write these scenes that are obviously so emotional, but also very physical, right? Yeah. And also, I mean, I write plays. I was like, who put me in fucking charge of writing <laughs> a massive set piece violence fight? I was like, who thought this was a good idea? But I, there's a huge beauty to writing something that's a culminating scene. And we talked a lot in the story room about like when we were going to reveal that Lestat can fly. And we all came to it together in the writing room. We were like, this is it. Then he flies up into the air. We were all like yelling it at the same time yeah. on Zoom. We were like, and then yeah. he flies. But like five <laughs> people were yelling it. And then he drops. 
awesome. <laughs> like we were all screaming it as we figured it out. It was a really exciting day in the writing room, actually. And we were like very self-pleased. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we were like, yeah. And it's like Paul falling to his death, only he doesn't die. You know, we were like freaking out. Oh, um, okay. Now you just gave me a connection I didn't put together. Okay. See, these playwrights, Kaylee, these playwrights, they operate right. on another level. The way they be. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. For me, it was like a huge delight. Right. Right. But then also, again, because I'm so petty with Lestat, the way he's like, I'm going to fly you in the air, oh, yeah. hold your mangled body and be like, just tell me you don't love me. It's like, Lestat, honey. I know. <laughs> this is not the time. Like, if you needed a boost, it was not going to come down. Okay. Maybe like, don't beat me to a pulp <laughs> and then ask me if, if, exactly. if I love you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Do you think Louis actually does love Lestat? You know, I honestly feel like I have to hold on that because I'm scared of spoilers. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. That's tantalizing. Yeah. Ooh, right? I would say, yes, he does. I think that it evolves into something else and now they're eternally connected. I think it's abusive. I think that it's terrible. It's also beautiful in in, in some ways. And so it's just really very uh-huh. complicated. But I do think that there was there is and was love at some point, you know? It's just complicated. Yeah. 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 Okay, my very last question. I would like us to end with a little segment called A Little Taste, which, you know, is what vampires are all about. Okay. <laughs> now, without giving away any spoilers, can either of you give us a little taste of what's to come in future episodes? We just got a couple more after this. Is there a little hint, a little something you want people to look out for? Hannah, you can tell us as a riddle, in the form of a riddle, if you don't (laughs) want to give it away. I mean, what's to come in 106? This next episode is like a fucking beast. I just can't wait. It's like a psychological game, this next episode. I'm super interested in and excited for the audience to like hit the 106 of it. You know, I think there is nothing left to be said. That that sounds... That, I'm going to leave it to the writers in the room, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yes, y'all. Strap in for 106. Oh, Kaylin, Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me all things 105. This was so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi. Those two just kept blowing my mind. The parallels that these writers are bringing us, honey. The parallels. The artistry. But honestly, I just had so much fun, and I want to spend a night out on the town with them. Kaylin, Hannah, DM me, sis. Let's meet up. I'm serious, you guys. Seriously, let's hang out. Okay, sorry. That was not for you, the listener. That was between me, Hannah, and Kaylin. Okay? But you know what is for you? Another check-in with horror connoisseur Tanana Reeve Du. She's a professor of black horror and Afrofuturism at UCLA and has so much insight into all things monsters. After we spoke with her in episode one, we knew we had to get her back on the pod, honey. Professor Tanana Reeve Du. Mm. Welcome back. It's great to be here. So excited to talk about this show. Well, I'm so glad we have you because episode 105 is a doozy <laughs> of an episode. Claudia, 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 what are you going to do with teenagers? <laughs> Holy cow. Exactly. Now, as you know, I am a journalist. My questions are always hard-hitting, incisive. Mm. And so with that, my first one is, if you were a vampire, where would you hide your victims' bodies? Whew, I need research before I come on this show. That is a meaty, 
meaty question. You can't go with burying them in the backyard. Not only is it cliched, but even with all the limestone, I don't think so. So I'm thinking maybe the Dexter route where you go out on a boat and weigh them down. You got to weigh them down, though, and throw them in the ocean. Feed the fish. Absolutely. I also love that you mentioned limestone. You said, let's get into the topography, honey. What are we working with in the soil? Well, you got to think it through. This is where a lot of vampires and other killers go wrong. They haven't really thought it through. I, and I'll tell you who's not thinking it through. It's Claudia. Yeah. Claudia, she's acting out. She's acting out. Let's just put it that way. Wild and out. Just completely out of control. And it's so <laughs> funny because as listeners probably know, she was only supposed to be five in the in the novel. So they aged her up. But it's so interesting how it seems like, yes, it's teenagery to behave the way she's behaving, just like, you know, throwing her chicken bones everywhere uh, as she's walking <laughs> around town. But it's also very five-year-old behavior. It's almost like she's a, a blending of the ages. Like, I mean, I totally believe that behavior as a teenager, but it also tracks if you're five. Right, right. There's a lot of petulance there, definitely. Yes. But can you relate to Claudia? Is anything about teenage vampire Claudia reminding you of teenage Tanana Reeve? <laughs> oh my gosh, no. I was <laughs> such a goody-goody. Are you kidding me? If I were a vampire... At, at Claudia's age, I would have been like the most polite. I would have been like, you know, Louis not wanting to kill people. Like, oh, do you mind if I just have a little taste? I swear it's just not going to be a little bit. I would have been <laughs> so not in my power. And I have to say, in a weird way, I kind of admire Claudia that she is in her power. I mean, mm. horror is transgressive, and that's a transgressive thing for me to say. So I'm just going to say it. If you are a vampire, you are at the top of the food chain. Okay, mm -hmm. so you're killing people and strewing bodies all over the place. That's your prerogative. Okay, Professor Dew is here to transgress, honey. She said, I'm going to be transgressive, and I'm going to say, throw the bodies wherever you want to throw the bodies. I mean, there are obviously safety concerns, and it's going to scare people and probably end up getting, getting you driven out of town and all that kind of thing that, of course, parents are worried about. And she didn't ask to be a vampire, by the way. So right. you break it, you bought it kind of situation with her. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think that's so true, but I, I think that's something that was so interesting to me. I was like, it's so wild to me how quickly Claudia gets on board with her new life. You know what I mean? Like, the last thing she knew, she was in a corner waiting for the flames to take her. <laughs> and next thing you know, she got these two dads and she living in a mansion in Storyville. And it's like, you have eternal life now. Go eat some people. And she really does not take much pushing. No. And that's one of the great things I love about child characters in horror. I write a lot of child protagonists. And the thing that I love about them is they adapt. That's why they survive. Mm -hmm. Like the parents are telling you, well, that can't be true. There's no one in the house. The kids, I, I saw the thing in the house, right? But yeah. children adapt. They're like, oh, okay, now there's a demon. <laughs> what do I do? Let me go get my demon killing kit. And I do think there is a, a little speck of realism Yes, they're going to have trauma. Yes, they're going to be in therapy. But if you flip a child's world upside down in a lot of ways, especially depending on the age, they will adapt to that faster than an adult will. Mm -hmm. Child, they're used to changes constantly. Their bodies are changing. They're, I mean, nothing's mm -hmm. staying the same for a child. It's like the world is all about adaptability for them. So I do think there is some truth in that child spirit running through Claudia for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That definitely makes sense. I also think, though, what we do find out towards the end of the episode is that she is also, she is still mourning 
in a way, the episode starts off a little campy even, you know, with Claudia hiding remains in all these random places <laughs> and sort of the wackadoo running around, you know, as the cops come around and her kind of like frantically hiding things. Um, but there is a mourning. She's like mourning her lost childhood. She's mourning the loss of her human life. Louis is constantly in a state of mourning and grappling and tortured and I'm, like, what do you think it is about vampires, specifically, of all the monsters, that they tend to be the most grief-stricken? Why do they work as metaphors for grief more so than, say, a werewolf or a swamp thing or a zombie? That is an amazing question. That sounds like a dissertation, you know, the answer to that one. So zombies are just gone, right? So they they don't care. They're they're not even the person anymore. You don't see grief in zombies. The werewolf is a bit of a tortured creature, but because werewolves aren't sexy, we don't really care. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes, the wolfman, classic horror. You yeah. always feel sorry for those classic monsters because whether it's Frankenstein's monster or the werewolf, none of them ask for it. And, and I do think that a lot of these horror monsters are, are playing with the aspects of adulthood and growing up that we want to separate ourselves from. Vampires especially have to do with that sexual attraction. And this whole thing about being balanced at the edge of a, of a hunger is very, very real. Mm. So I really think the tortured nature of the vampire is something a lot of people relate to on a personal level. We've all had drives and hungers that we know aren't good for us. Mm -hmm. that we have to fight, that we have to suppress within ourselves, that sort of monster within. And the sexual nature of, of so much vampire lore, I think, also makes it that much more personal. Right, right. That makes sense. Okay, I love that you were like, that's a dissertation worth? I'm going to give you a dissertation. <laughs> Talking about that, you know, the sexual nature of vampires, the idea of them as this forbidden fruit you know, we see this moment, though, in episode five with Claudia, where she suffers an assault at the hands of the vampire Bruce that ultimately drives her back home to the devils that she knows, right? She wants to strike out from Louis and Lestat. And then when she finally meets another vampire, it is um, heinous. It is. What do you think of that? Like, What do you make of that that story point? I think, again, that really parallels true life adolescence very well. You know, think of, mm. of someone who runs away because they don't want to live under the rules of their parents and they think they're finished and they're grown, you know, so they're going to go out and make their own way. And then tragedy of some kind strikes. But in Claudia's case, and I and I want to say as an aside, I, I really appreciated the way that assault, whatever she suffered, was kind of kept to our imaginations. Mm -hmm. I feel like they took care because that is something that takes people out of horror. When you're watching real life trauma happen, whether it's racial trauma, like a lynching, I was so glad we didn't see the lynching as horror, even though yeah. you could have gotten away with it in that time period. I'm really, really glad that we don't see a sexual assault as horror because, yeah, we get those things are horrible and those things really happen. And in fact, those things have happened in some cases to people who are watching this right now. Mm -hmm. So the more you can sort of take a step back, let the viewer use their imagination, we get it. Claudia fell in with the wrong guy. She thinks she's building community with another right. vampire, right? And then he's a monster. And so that is a, an opportunity for her to sort of not only realize that she still needs protection, but also to ask herself, what kind of monster is she going to be? Mm. She's balanced between the, the sort of sensitivity and, and reluctance of Louis 
and the just grand, I don't give a damn, of Lestat. And she has to figure out who is she really. This guy she met out in the world ain't it. That ain't that ain't right. it. So if it's not that, then what is it? And let me go back to where I can sort of lick my wounds a little bit and figure this thing out. Maybe family isn't so bad. Right. And we see, though, in present day in Dubai, the pages of Claudia's diary where she did write about the assault are ripped out. Let's right. listen to this clip between Malloy and Louis. There are four pages torn out. I'll repeat myself. I will not exploit her. Did she tear them out? Doesn't seem like something she would do. It's clear what happened. And she wrote about it, and I'd like to read it. No. When you do that, Louis, when you editorialize, however noble the reasoning, it calls into question the other shit you're shoveling my way. Why do you think Louis ripped out those pages? I think Louis being a dad there. He really does feel this paternal bond for Claudia. And no father or parent wants to imagine their child suffering this kind of trauma. Clearly, she didn't probably like talking about it. He doesn't want a stranger, a virtual stranger anyway, talking to him about it. He'd like to erase that it ever happened. In some ways, probably is always blaming himself. I mean, how many mm. times must Louis have asked himself if Claudia might have been better off if he had let her die in the fire? Mm -hmm. I can totally get why Louis, as a, as a father, like feeling like a father, does not want to go there. Right. I just, I'm, I guess I'm interested in your thoughts on the overlap between vampire parenthood and human parenthood, <laughs> which both involve bringing a child into a world mostly without their consent. None of us do ask to be born. And it, I'm sure in real life, it's, it's very dispiriting, harrowing, actually, for parents to feel like they brought a child into a terrible situation in wartime, extreme poverty, extreme abuse. I mean, that would be a lot of weight to carry in terms of your personal responsibility for creating that situation. And Louis is that times, you know, 10 maybe. Mm -hmm. You have all that history that he keeps with the diaries, but this one section he won't even look at is all he has left of this very human experience of parenting, maybe the most human experience mm -hmm. he's had since he became a vampire, was being Claudia's dad. It's grounding, you know, rather than like figuring out, am I going to eat like a dog tonight or am I going to eat a rat? You're going to like, oh, I let me try to do something for Claudia. Let me try to give Claudia a life lesson. Let me try to steer mm -hmm. and guide Claudia. It, it, it can become sort of a reason for existence. A parent who loses that relationship with a child will absolutely sometimes fall into a deep depression and wonder what was this all for. Just by virtue of the fact that Louis has these diaries, it calls into question where Claudia is in the present. You know, even the fact that these are his, when we know she is someone who wrote down everything, you would think that these diaries were very important to her, right? To hold mm. her own. So it automatically made me question, do we, is Claudia even still alive in the present day? I don't know. My suspicion is that she might not have ended up well. Right. Well, also, like, it ain't good. And even if she is alive, it's like, she don't talk to Louis no more. Right. If she's alive, I imagine it was one of those things where she just left everything behind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, she left him mm -hmm. in the dead of night and was mm. just like, forget it. Like, all I'm taking is what I got on my back. You know, whatever that is. And she just bounced. And so all right. he has then are the diaries. True. 
okay, we have to pivot, okay? Because, I mean, we don't have a lot of time and we got to talk about the end of this episode because the climax of this app is this heinous, horrible fight between Louis and Lestat Oof. that is precipitated by Claudia's return. Mm-hmm. And it is brutal. What, are, what were your reactions? Like, just give me your first thoughts, your reactions to the brutality of this fight between these two people who are supposed to be so deeply in love. Well, anyone who's been paying attention to Lestat's psychology <laughs> should not be surprised that I feel like his explosion has been a long time coming. He has been just barely keeping it together. We saw what he was capable of from the very first episode. And as with happens in domestic violence, you know, it all starts out with the courtship and it's all rosy and oh, you're beautiful and oh, you're this and oh, you're that. But after a few years, or in the case of a vampire, maybe a few hundred years or a few decades, you revert to your core. You're not putting on a mask around anybody. You're in, you're, you're mm-hmm. who you are. And that is, that fight is exactly who Lestat is. Now, some people might argue that the rage is fueled by love or whatever, but I think that's a story he tells himself. It's not even rage. It's like this abandonment that he has in terms mm-hmm. of his own power and his capacity for violence and his jealousy of Claudia. And make no mistake, that is part of what was fueling all of their conflicts is, I think, jealousy, obviously. You know, it was just two of them. Why do we have to have this kid? Even more so when she's older, you know, with a five-year-old, yeah. maybe you can kind of see it. <laughs> but he practically brought this whole other grown woman in this house. Yes, And is giving her so much attention and constantly correcting Lestat and constantly chastising Lestat. And Lestat was like, you know what? I'm over it. So I'm not justifying it, but I'm saying that it shouldn't be a surprise. That's that's who that's been a long time coming. Absolutely. And this fight ends with Lestat flying into the air, holding Louis by the collar. I have waited, Louis. I have patiently waited in vain for you to love me as I love you. Just say it. Say at the start, I am never going to love you. It would help me a great deal to hear that from your lips. Quivering, hateful lips. Call me. Anything for you. And he drops him thousands of feet Mm. to the cement below. Okay. Yeah. That's love. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's like that song. What's that song? It's like, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. That's what this is. That's what this is. It's like, good Exactly. Isn't it interesting, too, that he has waited until this moment, this fight, to show Louis that he can fly? I know. That was a a surprise. It's like, oh, we're doing this now? So in some ways, it shows a great deal of restraint, because Lestat had more power than we even knew he had through the whole series. And Louis did not Mm -hmm. know the extent of his powers. And I would think that Lestat kept that close to the chest, 
because it's an advantage, you know, and it's an advantage that he could spring when it suited him. Mm -hmm. He showed Mm -hmm. Louis a mask, like part of who he was, but not all of who he was. A phantom of the opera mask. It's a phantom of the opera, a half mask. Exactly. And I don't understand all the reasons Lestat is so convinced that he's in love with Louis. Was Mm -hmm. he a challenge? Is he attracted to his purity of spirit, like something that he yearns for but can never have again? I think that's part of it. Yeah. But whatever it is, it's this toxic version of love. And yeah, it's very frustrating, I guess, if you feel like you love someone and they don't love you back. But... You can't throw them out of a window or drop them from thousands of feet in the air. You just can't do it. Facts. Hot take. Hot take. You can't throw <laughs> someone. You can't. Thousands of feet. I mean, this is just me. I'm just saying, though, for right. me. Right. That's not right. Okay. You know what? You've given me everything. You've answered every question. You've helped me process what I've seen. Because 105, I was shook. Okay? I was taken to, I was taken to dark places. I had no idea. And there's no better person to unpack all this with Professor Tanana Do, I'm having you back, okay? Because we gotta talk about the finale when it happens. Okay. Because I know if five got me like this, the finale gonna have me just on the floor. Oh, it's coming. Thank you so much, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Whew, honey, I was in a raw, emotional place, and I needed this conversation. Now, before we go, I have some vampire history to share with you, because we all know vampires go way, way back. But most of us only know the male vampires, Dracula, Angel, Edward, so many men. But you know what? There are historic female vampires too. Claudia is not alone. One of the earliest and most important vampire stories in literature is Carmilla, an Irish novella from 1872 written by Sheridan Le Fanu. It predated Bram Stoker's Dracula by 26 years, y'all. Carmilla was first. The novella focuses on a young woman who is being hunted by a female vampire named Carmilla. And yes, you're thinking, wow, that sounds gay. And yes, you'd be correct. Like a lot of vampire literature, the eroticism is implied, but it is not subtle, honey. And it is almost incomprehensibly chill about lesbians, considering it was 1872. I'm telling y'all, vampires stay ahead of their time. Sexually, I mean. Oh my God. Just want to say I love this show. I love this podcast. I'm freaking out. I want every episode now. It's so good. My question is, is Louis going to eat Malloy? Like, literally. Is he just going to kill him at the end? I mean, he's just, he asking for it. He really is asking for it. He's old. He's a smart ass. Is he going to kill him? That's my question. Love this show. Oh my God, I love that you are leaving me voicemails. And this is a very good question you are asking. But you know what? You just gonna have to wait and see. You think I'm gonna give you some early spoilers? That's not how we do on the pod. Look, you wild, but I love that you love the show. And you know what? I want more from all of you. Come on now. We are in a dialogue, honey. Please call in with your reactions and thoughts to 888-788-VAMP. That's 888-788-8267. And your message might even be included right here in future episodes of the podcast. Next week, we're joined by director Levin Atkin to talk about all things episode six. We'll also welcome back Jewel Gomez, author of the vampire novel, The Gilda Stories. Get ready to discuss some fucked up vampire family dynamics. Thanks for listening to the AMC Plus Interview with the Vampire podcast. Watch new episodes of Interview with the Vampire every Sunday night on AMC 
or stream it early on AMC+. Podcast episodes drop the same day. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. For an extended 30-day free trial of AMC+, go to amcplus.com and use promo code INTERVIEWPOD. That's interview, P-O-D. This is an AMC Networks podcast produced in partnership with Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at AMC Networks are Kevin Dreyfus, Celia Quinette, and Brian Swarth. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our managing producer is Bria Mariette. Our producers are Ben Goldberg and Aaron Kelly. Our associate producer is Natalie Paert. Darby Maloney is our editor. Mixing and engineering by Hannes Brown. Thank you again to Hannah Moscovich, Kaylin Coleman, and to Nanareev Du for joining us. And I am Naomi Akparagin. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of AMC Networks and its employees.